Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 12, issue 569. And today we're going to talk about Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Chris Worthington. Hello. And Jesse Fuchs. Hey. Welcome back, gentlemen. The Dragon's Lair and Space Ace, we're going back 40 years. They are, or were, I suppose they are, really. They were Laserdisc based, but they are interactive 2D cartoons of American origin. Let's start uh, with our histories with the game or games in question. Mine is like, I've heard what I thought was, I mean, I know it wasn't exceptional because it was everywhere, but mine was simply, I remember seeing this game in the arcade in 1983 and it blew my mind. That is, but every time I click on a YouTube video or I read an article, it's like it always starts with exactly the same kind of idea. I saw this game in an arcade in 1983-4 and it blew my mind. Um, a bit more to come, but Jesse, is that is that where you come in with this? Yeah, it more or less. I mean, I, I, born in 74, so 83, I'm like eight or nine. And definitely yeah. peak arcade time, at least for me, even though the arcades... I mean, interesting thing with Dragon's Lair that we'll get into is that it is... You know, this moment where the arcades are starting to really uh, dive and the crashes hit the consoles and seems to be hitting the arcades and like, this is going to save everything. So it it certainly wowed me in the sense of it would generally have two monitors, right? One for the player, but one above it for the yeah, spectators. Yeah, so cool. Uh, it was the first 50 cent game. And certainly I watched a fair, you know, after... A month or two of it being out, I definitely watched a playthrough all the way through because there'd be some kid who you know knew how to do it. Uh, but I was ambivalent to it even as a kid, just in the sense of I'd put in my 50 cents. Uh, <laughs> and as, you know, a budding tabletop nerd in some way, there was this incipient game design sense of like, eh, like this looks cool, but it's not really a game. Uh, and I died very quickly. And it was... What I realized as an adult was, sure, it was a carnival ride. Uh, and, you know, that is the origin of the arcade games in the first place in some sense, right? Mm. You know, it's, it's mm. maybe closer to a kinetoscope uh, in some way uh, of just, yeah, yeah, that's a cool gimmick to run into down at the boardwalk. And I think <laughs> a through line to what we're going to talk about is how I actually kind of like the game more now because it is settled into this interesting, weird context. Uh, and maybe was actually a little more negative then, but it was only in like I again, like if I could for free watch a 15 minute playthrough where I got to see the whole thing, uh, and I understood that like I don't care that much about moving the joystick uh, in this context. Like I enjoyed it, and then Space Ace came out, which I actually played more of because it was mm. a little easier at first, and you know I, I could yeah. make my carnival ride 60 seconds longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, uh, so I, I probably put 50 cents into that a dozen times or so, like once every time I'd go to the arcade. And I did, for whatever reason, I'll try not to go on too many tangents, but arcades in New Jersey or wherever I was in suburbia, like hung around a little longer. And I was lucky in the sense of there were two different arcades I went to that had an iRobot machine. And I think there's oh, like yeah. 500 of those. So, yeah, we had one in Brighton. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Right. But, like, I didn't realize the arcades were dying in some sense. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, you know, Dragon's Lair was a novelty among other cool things, but it was no Quantum or iRobot to me. 
Chris? My my history is is somewhat the same and somewhat different as well. So it, it, if I had seen this in an arcade in 1983, it probably wouldn't have done much for me because I would have only have been two years old. Mm. Um, so I like very similar to the to the Star Wars issue, Leon. I I can't recall ever seeing this out mm. in the wild in an arcade. Uh, they do have one at Arcade Club in Berry I knew you would say that. And I've been there and I can't yeah. remember seeing it. Well, they do rotate them to an extent. So it is possible that you've missed some of the ones that we're talking about when, we, when we've had this conversation. I don't think they're always all on the floor. And obviously it depends when they get them in and stuff. But yeah, I remember I went when I went with Jay um, pre-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, he was playing Dragon's Lair and uh, doing exactly as well as you'd expect anyone to do at Dragon's Lair after not having played it for 40 years. Just imagine oh. this blue air surrounding the uh, arcade machine yep. as Jay just swears his way away from yep. the machine. But my my so I but I did have the mind blown moment with this. Yeah, uh, and it was courtesy of a little computer game shop in Liverpool called the Chip Shop. Uh, nice. It later turned into the Chip Shop 2000. And they <laughs> so futuristic. I know, so good. Yeah, they even they had all the kind of mod stuff in there, and they were running in the shop front window an Amiga five hundred that was playing Dragon's Lair, and I had my mm. specy. This so this would have been yeah. probably late eighty nine, early nineteen ninety, I reckon. So I was still I still had my specy at that point, and there were two games that convinced my parents to buy me an Amiga. One was Shadow of the Beast 2, and yep. the introduction to Shadow of the Beast was like nothing we'd ever seen. Yeah. We'd seen that in Too another right. shop. Yeah. And the other one was Dragon's Lair. And it, right. was, it was my dad who just couldn't believe that yeah. a simple little computer was... Home computer. Was, yeah. was, was running a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. Because that's what it, it did and still does look like. And even years into having the Amiga, he would still say, put that cartoon on, let me have a look at it. He wouldn't play it. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. interested. But he just yeah. wanted to look at it. Yeah, and he, you look, you go back to the Amiga version now and it wasn't a patch on, obviously, I mean, it's incredible in its own right for what they managed yeah. to, to make the Amiga do, but but, yeah. but clearly not, not a patch on the arcade. But that did give me the Dragon's Lair mind-blown moment only... Mm. Six, yeah. seven, seven, eight years after most other people did. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Uh, mine was Peter Pan's Playground, uh, which was uh, part of the sort of the Brighton seafront stretch of amusements yeah. a little bit further out into Kemp Town, sort of almost due south from where I'm recording this right now, about 20 minutes away. There was a an arcade there uh, in the, the peak era. I guess this would have been 83, maybe 84 and I remember hearing the attract mode and seeing the title screen and just being, yeah, bemused, confused, stunned. Um, and I think one of my friends who I was there with at the time and presumably some parents, maybe, yeah, maybe a parent. Um, we were yeah, 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, had already one of my friends had already sampled it and played it. And I, I, so I was I, I remember watching the attract mode. And hearing it lead on adventure, your quest awaits, yeah. and assuming that they'd put something in the game which was like <laughs> a an attract sequence that was on a video, you know, or a, or a some kind of video player, mm. and that the game was going to be an, a regular. For context, uh, listener, if if you're if you're younger of younger vintage, then just uh, 
you know, Google 1984 computer games or arcade games and look what most of them look like, which was, you know, kind of Pac-Man, Gallagher, that sort of thing. We're a few years after that. So things are moving on a little bit. We've got a we've got full color. We've got a bit of parallax scrolling, but we've got stuff like Mappy, which, uh, you know, simple side scrolling character graphics, quite a lot of pixels and, you know, a lot of black backgrounds to these screens. And here is this cartoon. And also the other thing I wanted to, to mention for the sake of context is home cartoons or tv cartoons at this point were generally awful uh they car animation 2d animation in general as much as video games were also in a massive slump and in yeah. fact disney disney were in a massive slump at this point uh, having had some uh some less well received 2d films including with don bluth the creator of these games having worked on some of those things like uh, was it the sword and the stone yeah and, um the the late 70s early 80s ones yeah and isn't that why Don Bluth left Disney? Because he yeah. didn't want to work on... He thought that the standard of Saturday morning cartoon yeah, animation yeah. Was, was terrible. And he wanted to he wanted to make the big, you know, big budget animated feature films, but it just Disney just weren't into it at that point. Yeah. And so this was like compared... We were still watching a lot of... There, obviously, there were early 80s cartoons. I think we were just about heading towards things like Transformers and stuff. And we'd seen some anime, obviously. I think I would say the state of Western animation was in a funk, not necessarily in, in yeah. Japan where things were always going well. But we had a lot of really crappy, cheaply produced Hanna-Barbera stuff. Yeah. And yes, it's. I mean, it's ironic that uh, Bluth wanted to make this yeah. cinema quality animation and then they made a TV series out of it, which is anything but. But I digress. Yeah. So seeing these at the arcades, also famously, this was the in America, it was the first game that was uh, one of the first or only games at the time that was uh, 50 cents rather than the quarter. And I believe in the UK it was 50p, but it it may have only been 30p. I can't quite remember. So your typical but price for a credit, Leon, back in those days in the UK 20. was 20p, was it? So yeah, it had gone it up 20. from 10p? Yes. Yeah, it went up from 10 to 20. Um, or maybe actually it was a mixture, I would say, yeah. at this point. There were some older 10p ones, some 20p ones for the new stuff. And then Dragon's Lair at the premium price of 30p, yeah. which obviously is about a quid in in modern money or something like that. Yeah. But it was enough when you when you're given at this point, bear in mind, your mum might have given you one pound yeah. to spend in the arcade. Yeah. You could spend it in literally in the, the whole thing in 30 seconds on Dragon's Lair. Easily. And th- so turning to my friend who'd already either sampled the game or who had seen it, someone quotes playing it. They said, no, 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 the game actually looks like that. And I was like, what? How is this even possible? <laughs> then I think there was a bit more explanation that like, yeah, you don't directly, the, you know, obviously the language and everything would have been different then. A, we were kids. QTEs had yeah. been invented, invented, even interactive, you know, interactive entertainment. I don't know, might have been called that. But uh, so it was sort of explained to me that... Uh, yeah, you didn't play it like a normal game, like a Pac-Man, or you didn't move the character around in the cardinal directions. Or it's shoot not open anything. world. Let's just. It's say. certainly not. If you open, this is not. It, the best way to describe it is: imagine an open world game. Now imagine the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I just so I just imagine these sweaty older kids screaming at the younger kids, mercilessly putting their pocket money into this, mm. just screaming at them left. Left, yeah, right, yeah. There was definitely some of that. I definitely remember that sort of thing of the like calling out the because you can memorize the sequences. Yeah, and and I remember this. This is what I want to say. I remember these games being in the arcades for quite a long time, 
um, because they didn't age in the same way as other games yeah, visually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that even, as long as the tech was working, it wasn't that reliable, especially in those sorts of environments with lots of smoke and grease yeah. and sweat and whatever else. They, they, they often didn't last long, but you would see them for a long time. I remember seeing that Space Ace intro, which I know that that wasn't as widely distributed as Dragon's Lair, but the Space Ace intro and that game appealed to me more at the time because I was way more into Star Wars than yeah. I was into like D&D or anything. It just used to like mesmerize me, yeah. but I barely ever played it. I may have played it once or twice when I had an extra 10p or I found I found like an extra 10p in a, in a slot somewhere else so yeah. I could like feel like I was... But I knew that I would just last literally like seconds. You'd lose all your lives. And that was it. So, yeah, basically, I didn't play these ever, really, until like the run up to this show. Amazing. I never bought the I never bought the Amiga games because um, because they were multi-disc and I wasn't. And I, and I knew by this point that as impressive as they were visually, I knew that the gameplay wasn't something I necessarily wanted to engage with. I didn't play any of the conversions because I had an Atari 800 and they didn't come out on that um, and so on and so forth. So really, my relationship with with this has been kind of from afar until the run up to the show when I bought the trilogy on PS4, played it on PS5, completed all three games mm. by hook or by crook uh, using the on-screen indicators and uh, the infinite credits and all that. But complete them, I did. I've got the trophy to prove it. And uh, yeah, um, they're exactly like I thought. But fascinating to talk about which is why we're here and yeah 40 years old so rdi video systems the company that was set up by rick dyer uh he'd previously worked uh or they'd previously made a game before dragon's lair a traditional uh raster sprite based game i guess called zizizix i think that's oh, how you say it yeah that that was a flop that's a weird yeah. little game but not like good yeah but interesting yeah. An interesting one. Uh, yeah, came out in 82 uh, under the name uh, the Advanced Microcomputer Systems, but released under the Cinematronics label, mm. as would the games we're here to talk about. So we probably don't need to talk too much about the, the scenario and the story as such. Uh, it's pretty basic stuff with uh, damsels <laughs> in distress, uh, hunky heroes or hunky ha hapless hunky heroes, I suppose, for, for comedy purposes. Uh, some uh, laughs, uh, some politically incorrect pieces that are very much of their time. I'm thinking particularly of the uh, the mother-in-law sequence at the start of Time Warp, uh, hmm. Dragon's Lair 2. Um, also, the, uh, the the princesses, particularly Daphne, basically being a playboy. Uh, <laughs> a cover. I mean, this is pre-Jessica Rabbit by, what, four or five years? Mm -hmm. um, but it's very much that kind of thing, the kind of hyper-over-sexualized uh female um protagonist not even a protagonist really because virtually yeah right yeah, yeah. <laughs> but right Jessica, like jessica rabbit is 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 yeah. bayonetta by comparison like yeah daphne yeah. is is absolutely just a reward she makes squealing noises in the first game yeah. pretty much exclusively except for yeah, like true. one moment of long exposition which is very <laughs> off-putting uh and she is literally drawn uh you know they they said in in the interview included on there they 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 comment on that everyone every kid seemed to know the the true urban legend of you know that they literally traced playboy model uh poses uh, yeah. that they had around the studio uh, but somehow that was never reported in the press or at least that, <laughs> that is what they claimed in that interview and and yeah, it's it's you know it's naughty in a in a very 
you know, you're pushing the edge in the arcade in 1983, yeah. but like that's the right amount, right? Uh, the first voice I heard, and and probably many, uh, is the the announcer, the narrator, who yeah. was uh, is the one voice actor they paid for. Most of the voices were done in house to save money and also to avoid having to localize it for uh, for international markets. But Michael Rye is the voice you hear with his uh, is it stentorious? Is that the word? Um, tones uh, giving you the the skinny of what's going on. He's a, a Chicago uh american actor he was already in his 60s at this point he'd done work on things like uh, perry mason and wagon train stuff like that and a load of cartoons godzilla hulk real ghostbusters mork and mindy spider-man actually real ghostbusters would have been after this wouldn't it yeah um but yeah he was uh he was a, a yeah a well a well-known voice actor and he did the he did the thing and yeah that um that intro yeah, is is kind of more than anything else about this game, other than the sort of still not maybe it's a slightly animated, but an image of Dirk the Daring in my head. It's that voiceover. Yeah, well, imagine it's a it's a thing that a lot of kids would have seen because they would, as you said earlier, so quickly run out of money that I imagine <laughs> a lot of time they just stand there just watching the attract sequence just play over mm. and over again. The, the visuals certainly have a a, a timeless quality. Yeah, in the my wife walked in when I was playing this, mm. and she said, "Oh, why you, are you?" She said, "It's not like you watching cartoons at this time. You're normally playing games." And I said, "Well, uh-huh. well, let me tell you about <laughs> I've combined games." Combined my two um, passions, <laughs> but yeah, you know, but yeah, it's it, they these graphics have an aged, in my opinion. They mm. they are timeless, and 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 I think probably they they look futuristic then, and they look classic, and I think they look yeah. futuristic now, and they look classic. Both, it's yeah, a, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, one one great thing about this, and and in, also in terms of kind of preservation stuff, is that this is the kind of game, or these are the kind of games that could have easily been completely lost because of the tech that they were on. But as yeah. it turns out, we can actually play them now on modern tech in kind of you know HD, beautifully mm-hmm. preserved quality. Um, no, whereas a lot of the conversions earlier on were compromised in whatever ways, even yeah. the direct conversions. Now we can, like, I bought the trilogy pack for six quid on PSN yeah. Yeah, and I've got ridiculous. perfectly, there. the whole thing run, runs in a Unity wrapper. It's pretty simple stuff, but it's nicely yeah. presented. You've got some interviews in there. You've got some extras. You've got some options. And, um, and it, yeah, it looks great. You can play it in widescreen or the original yeah. 4-3 aspect ratio. And, uh, and that's, uh, yeah, that's even, even if, even if the games aren't what we generally want to play these days, um, it's nice to be able to just well you can actually just on you can on the modern versions you can just let them roll and just watch yeah. all the scenes play out which may be preferable yeah. with deaths or without which is something uh, we'll to, yeah, yeah indeed yeah yeah uh, it actually reminded me of i think it was a sort of an influence on um, tomb raider and resident evil i hmm. think these games in that sense the kind of cameo death scenes that are uh, bespoke yeah. depending on depending on situation um, not the earliest examples of those. I think there was the battle chess and things like that. Or, or Sierra games. I mean, I've been, yeah, battle chess right. actually is a great example. Cause I did have a pirated version of this on the Amiga. Uh, and I would show, I was thinking like, I would kind of show friends dragons Lair when they came over, but I'd actually be more likely to show them battle chess. And we would do the thing where yeah. we would just make all the different pieces fight the different Take fights the, or whatever, yes. you know, yeah. uh, as, as a, like, the novelty show you know your friend from a 
school came over and you're showing them neat stuff on your stepdad's computer, Dragon Slayer, I don't think it was really in the top five of things I would show, or it might have been like number five. But I'm just, yeah. you know, at that time, it was impressive, but it was, you know, it's on, also, it's, it was on eight discs, which was, you know, because they didn't yeah. do copy protection that the pirates had to decompress it or whatever, which oh, right. we okay. can maybe get to later when we talk about the conversions. Hmm. The other thing I wanted to mention particularly, because this caught my eye more than the, the sexy lady stuff at this point, because I was, I was a late bloomer, you know, I was more interested in the, in the games than the, than the ladies at this point. Um, <laughs> and life comes full circle. But uh, it was the gore. Like there's actual there's uh, the, although there's a lot of hacking of enemies in this and they kind of disappear in a in a cloud of smoke or smash or whatever. There's a few a few scenes where you get kind of things being chopped and and gorily sliced open and stuff like that. It's brief, but it's there. And I remember that really capturing my imagination. It felt a bit daring and a bit forbidden yeah. fruitish. Well, and terrible things happen to Dirk himself. I mean, uh, the, that, you know, when he yeah. comes back to life or, or as, you know, a skeleton falling. Like, yeah, that is uh, a hard G at you know, <laughs> yeah. least. Yeah, ju just to extend that as well. I mean, it's a lot darker than I imagined mm. it would be, you know, from, from the images I've seen over the years and from my memories of playing probably 30, 40 seconds of the Amiga version. There is a lot of, and we said it earlier when we were talking about the, the, the rating it got, and there's a lot of really dark imagery, like there's ghosts and the skeletons and there's bats. And, mm. you know, it's like, I think, you know, my kids will probably be a little bit spooked playing this oh, yeah. in some ways. And it's, you know, for something that looks so, uh, you know, inoffensive, just if you just looked at a still of Dirk, there's a lot of pretty dark stuff going on. I was actually just curious what, what, uh, what, Peggy or whatever it gets when it um, when That's it's released these yeah. days. I don't actually know because I've got a digital copy. I, I I mean, is it could it be teen because of the sort of the the lewdness and the and the moments of horror? But or may, maybe it's a twelve or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. I'd be surprised if it was any more than that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's definitely not an eighteen. The uh, one death animation that got me though was actually one in Space Ace, and that was the one where they drown. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It actually gives me. Yeah. I found myself <laughs> holding my breath a little bit. Yeah. 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 No, yes, I mean, uh, Bakshi's visceral and the th one thing this game made me think of was uh, also early 80s is Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Which yeah, is, yeah. Which is a very considered kind yeah. of like, let's take the serials of my youth and kind of squeeze mm -hmm. it, like just the good parts, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of yeah. the motto of that in Star Wars in a way as well. And if you take all of the kind of stuff that creeped me out as a kid about Secret of Nim and and like cut it down to you know a YouTube supercut, like you kind of would get Dragon's Lair or something that felt like that, right? Like this is, and one thing that does kind of fascinate me about this game is that franticness and the fact that it is trying to be a game and in some way trying to tell a narrative of some level, and it's. A thing I admire a lot is comic strips like Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes, where they can tell a month long story, but like it's in four panel chunks that a person might read day to day. And like that's kind of an insane constraint to try to tell a story under. And I do not think Dragon Slayer is nearly as successful or even Dragon Slayer 2. And we'll get to that. But like there's something, again, mind boggling about it trying to yeah tell a story at at that pace uh and be just the good parts and again things like the lizard king or whatever at least having that they stick with you and and 
you yeah. you imagine maybe you saw them uh, in a bigger cartoon, but you didn't. Yeah, somewhere along the line, they made the design choice of not playing these scenes consecutively like they do in Space Station Dragon's Lair 2. So mm. that that gives a lot of challenge to the game, but it also, I think, massively detriments the ability to tell any kind of coherent story because you really, yeah. you just get these mixture of scenes. You get to start <laughs> and then you get these jumble of scenes and you never know which one's going to come up next and which one's going to come up first. And then you get the end of the story. So... I think in 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 design and the game around the wonderful animation the story is trying to tell it it loses the opportunity to tell a any kind of coherent yeah. story I, for me. Yeah. I have a feeling the the original design document was a bit more elaborate and complicated was, and yeah. ambitious but they they had to dial it back to kind of yeah find the the balance between actually learning how to use the tech and making this interactive cartoon and yeah, I'm sure they had grand ideas, and certainly some of those ideas can be seen in the in the second and third games. Yeah, in the main trilogy. I mean, it it the first one is definitely not a coherent story, but even within a scene, sometimes it's not coherent, but sometimes it manages to at least for the ten seconds of a scene, you know, tell sort of a little story at this in, yeah. insane pace of like, and then he he jumped over there, this set on fire. Like the the most fun scenes are the you know, slapstick slash nightmarish ones. And yeah, there is something, uh, you know, the, the last episode I was on was Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, where three of us yeah. had played the game previously for at least 20 hours, uh, you know, some years ago, and no one remembered it, despite kind of liking it. <laughs> yeah. And this is kind of exactly. the opposite, where mm. going back to it, specifically Dragon's Lair, less Space Ace, and certainly not Dragon's Lair 2, which I never saw as a kid. I was no. stunned at how many things from this have stuck with me. You know, the the density yeah. of them. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting point because, I mean, Space Ace, I think, does tell a coherent story. And actually, you know, my personal opinion is it tells... It, it's much more fun to play in the moment because you are playing through a story. And because it's you repeat the same scenes when you fail, it, it, it's, it's more straightforward to play through. Whereas I think you're absolutely right, Jesse. I think in 10 years' time when I probably won't have gone back to these games, I think it will be a lot of the imagery from Dragon's Lair that I remember. Yeah, talking about the gameplay then, because um, I'm sure we'll sort of revisit other aspects of, of visuals and, and audio as, as we talk about actually playing the game and the various versions. Um, I think, I have a feeling, I haven't been back to listen, uh, but I have a feeling in our Shenmue podcast the first one we probably <laughs> talked about the invention of qtes and i'm sure dragon's lair would have been mentioned but i can't remember if we established that dragon's lair was effectively the the progenitor of all qtes or whether they're i mean we, i think we kind of took it back further and said electronic simon and things like that maybe maybe you can trace yeah. trace other games where it's simply like repeating patterns and and yeah only yeah. only being able to put in certain uh inputs at certain points which will dictate whether you continue or not the the i suppose the the really key aspect to to dragon's lair one in particular is the almost total lack of indication as to what you're supposed to be entering <laughs> at any one point now staggering bear in mind the home versions a lot of them have added a feature where it tells you what to put in Mind you, even then, sometimes the input windows are so tight mm. that it's entirely possible 
um, to to miss your input window unless you're 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 very quick. The the sequels are a little bit more generous, I found. But the first yeah. game, apparently, they were by the end of development of the first game, they were actually investigating or, or experimenting with putting some kind of on-screen indicator as what you're supposed to do, just like a flashing door or or a flashing sword or something like that, just to give you a hint as to which of the four cardinal directions or buttons you're supposed to press. But for most of Dragon's Lair, it's simply a case of maybe, you know, you're kind of looking at the screen and thinking, where would I want to go if I was Dirk in this situation? But a lot of it's completely arbitrary, or it feels arbitrary to me. Okay, this is fascinating, because I'm pretty sure this is not a false memory, but as a kid, when I would see it in the arcades, mm. uh, there would be not the you know little image of the joystick that you have on the PS4 version that literally tells you press right, left, whatever, but yeah. there would be, like, the door would flash, the, you know, this part mm. uh, would flash, or, like, the sword would flash, or whatever, and but then when I was watching through it on the um, PS4, where you know you just play the whole movie, uh, yeah. they had none of that, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, I have never. I don't think I've actually seen it without that." I, I, now I realize that I was put on later, but I don't think in an arcade. By the time it got to me or something, they had put those flashes in. I mean, it's still incredibly hard, but um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that is, the, that is, was it ever released in arcades just without those completely? Hmm. Not well, certain, I think no. there, are, there, there are some and some are not because I think that as development went, yeah, I think you said earlier, Leon, as development went on, they, they realized that actually we ought to put something here. So <laughs> yeah. that, 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 see, that scene or screen or series of screens with the rapids, mm -hmm. you know, where the, the direction, the cave lights up mm. that you have to press. Mm. But it's not a question of... It's not only a question of which direction you press, it's when. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because there's no way of knowing when you can control Dirk. Yes. As yeah. opposed to when you should just be watching. This, so, this is the thing. You can't like put your input in early or, right. or uh, you can't preempt it. You've got to do it exactly during the window that it says. Otherwise, you. in some cases, I think there are very few scenes where you can get away with a, with a miss. But generally, it's instant death over and over and over again. So the only way to do it is to, at every single point in the scene, is to try one direction. Yeah. And then <laughs> fail. Yeah. And then start again. Yeah. There are, I think there are supposed to be sort of visual clues, like a monster comes from the right, you're supposed yeah, so to jump to that. the left. Yeah. Uh, there's a hole appears in front of you, press up. That You know, it's meant to be that, but it really, you know, um, we should say all this animation runs at uh, TV and cinema, normal frame rate of 24 fps um but it's like the the actual pacing of the events especially in space ace and particularly dragon's lair 2 time warp it's just relentless <laughs> the screen is so busy the first one is is quite a lot more kind of you know they were obviously finding their way there's kind of a lot less busyness on the screen in most of the scenes but even then like you might have a scene where you're surrounded by a swirling wind with loads of things in it and you're supposed to just somehow visually pick up that, yeah, there's a door to your right or whatever. Um, and, I, and I think, yeah, yeah, it's designed essentially to be in the hope that people would pile money into it, just keep trying it and failing and learning again. And it seems to have worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, yeah, it worked for a, a while. On the, the indicators, I, I think if 
the the in a sense like coming to this game if you're you know listening to this and you're like this is interesting oh, six bucks whatever i mm. think the biggest flaw in a way and i'm thinking specifically like dragon's lair is the one i kind of took most seriously for this and you know but i did find myself it's not a difficult game to beat if you completely ignore what's going on on the screen <laughs> other yeah. than yeah. The indicator, right? You could yeah. like, yeah. I remember in our Jeff Minter episode, we were talking about like, you could wear glasses covered with butter and still, uh, you know, beat a space giraffe because it's just the sound in the shapes or whatever. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you might do better at this if you do that, right? And that is, <laughs> it weirdly reminds, I don't know, like Mario Kart DS almost has, or, you know, has this issue where sometimes you can do better just looking at the map below than actually yeah, right. looking at the screen. Uh <laughs> And, yeah. you know, that's usually a bad sign with the game, unfortunately. One option I, I think they actually could have put into the, the current version, the, the version that's on sale on your digital marketplaces right now that they didn't, as an accessibility option and, and simply as an option as well, is actually have it so that the animation pauses yeah. uh, at the point that you have to put your input. Mm -hmm. and then, it all and, slows right down to almost yeah. you know, still, but but yeah. Something like that. Just... Yeah. So that you still get the the kind of the whatever pleasure you get from actually directing the action, but without the stress. Because I was I was fine, even though yeah, I ended up completing it with a few continues and stuff. Uh, time warp was actually I was just like some of those sequences are so long. Yeah, they are. Uh, yeah. And even though the whole thing only took me I don't know half an hour or forty minutes or whatever to to get through, it was making me stressed. Like <laughs> it was yeah. it was actively stressful, yeah. uh, and also especially. The, the, in a way, Dragon's Lair gets away with the re repetition better because although it's a less fair game in some ways, the, the inputs are more arbitrary and, and often tighter, I, I felt. Um, the Because of there's so much more dialogue and stuff in the sequels, you end up hearing these mm -hmm. sequences over and over yeah. and over again and it yeah. becomes infuriating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the amount of times I've heard, uh, what's his name in Space Ace, the main character? What's the character's name? Dexter. Ace. Where the amount of times I heard Dexter shout the name Kimmy. Oh yeah. God! Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> starting, my vein was starting to throb a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that sort of. Uh, I've never fully been able to. I'm sure there's a name for this syndrome, but you know that. You know that feeling when you're like trying to do something fiddly and it starts to actually make you feel a bit sick when you mm -hmm. keep yes. failing to do it, like threading yeah, a needle yeah. or, or that yeah. sort of thing. It started to feel like that, like it was actually starting to make me feel a bit, yeah, like not not like psychologically anxious, but sort of physically kind of like contorted. And, yeah, like um, I really need to step away from this. Yeah. For a bit. And yeah. some some games that I really like occasionally do that. So I wouldn't say that it's a, like that's a red line. Like I can not like a game that ever does that to me because that would be false but that's all there is in this game that is <laughs> that is it i was my my question to to you both first uh you jesse like is there did, did would you ever feel either playing it back then or playing it now the the addiction as in or the compulsion to keep playing to see more i mean to see more uh it, it, it would heavily depend on whether there was a, a, a taller kid who was better around, uh, right? Because <laughs> I want to pay money and, and make an effort. If if it was a choice of like, 
to see the rest of this game, I have to get good at it. I maybe right. It, it would mm. depend, but I'm not. I'm. I'm generally. You know, I didn't even beat uh, the first half of Cuphead, so I am not someone who's gonna. Uh, <laughs> dedicate themselves that much unless something really strikes me in a particular way like i there are exceptions but you know the memory i i i got a little good playing this at dragon's lair because it's short enough and embedded enough in my mind that the yeah. the rote memorization of it is kind of fun uh but the other ones yeah i plowed through with continues and honestly you know i don't think i'm much better at them now than i was you know before um, and you, yeah, you brought up Simon earlier, and I do think there's a an, another game. Weirdly, that this is a very strange family of games that Dragon's Lair is in is a uh, Parappa. Yeah, you know that's a real novelty game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still fantastic. Yeah. It's a game where ignoring what goes on on the screen is probably helpful, uh, and a game where <laughs> yeah. you're literally not even using the joystick. It's it's you know it's all just yeah. four button inputs. And uh, when it came out. It is, in, right, the, that the reaction of it being not a game wasn't really there in the way it was uh, a little bit with Dragon's Lair and Mist. I remember Next Generation, mm. you know, really slamming Mist uh, for, mm. in a sense, not being a game, but giving five stars to Parappa when it came out and being like, look, this is a weird, <laughs> it's very short, and it's kind of a novelty, but you got to play it. It's mind-blowing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, they're they're all very, you know, yeah, the family of Dragon's Lair, Mist, Parappa, and Bandersnatch. Uh, I don't know what that genre is called, <laughs> yeah. but they do all relate. I think there is actually a something of a rhythm to uh, Time Warp as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, like it, it does yeah. actually kind of bounce along with the music. Whereas the yeah. the first game doesn't really, as we said, it, it's got it's got jingles and stings, but it doesn't have a score as such. And it felt like the inputs were more staccato and sporadic whereas in the in the second and third games in particular there's a bit more yeah kind of yeah one two three input one two three not always there are some half steps and half beats but it yeah it almost kind of veers into rhythm action almost yeah i had not particularly in time that, warp but yeah you could see these if they had continued evolving essentially into being rhythm games because that is yeah. the most sensible path by far for yeah, this yeah. kind of set of mechanics yeah, for me, just to answer your question, Leon, so back in the yeah. arcade, no, I would never no. have continued just to see the next because I wouldn't have had that much money. So I would, have wanted, yep. I would have wanted to make my pound or pound fifty go as far as possible. So I would have done the classic, put, you know, probably spent all of my money one day on this and then probably never went back to it. But you, you just know that for every 10 people that were like me, there would have been one yeah. that would have over and over again just would have put their money in and wouldn't have been able to walk away until they were... So true. Yeah. They were beaten. But playing this on the PlayStation, I definitely felt that compulsion mm. to, to go on. And it wasn't necessarily to see what was next because I knew I could just click the button to watch, watch the game. But there, I think there is something in the human condition which... Or some primal reaction in our brain where if someone gives you a simple command, you have to fulfill it. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know? And it's it's it, it in a in a more complex way, it's like learning the patterns of a boss. That oh, yeah. you you know that you know what you need to do, and it's very, very clear, you know, when the directions mm. are on the screen. It's course. still possible to mess it up and then it that yeah, makes you feel sure. like you've messed up because you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And particularly in Space Ace, like some of those actions where you have to press the button where he, like when he when he grows up, you energize, know, you have to press the button to energize. That's it to energize. Like some of those inputs were crazy. The window <laughs> there were crazy short. I mean, mm. it must have been about a quarter of a second. Mm. So I failed on those. But I, I, there was one evening when I stayed up way too late because I had to finish Dragon's Lair, and I kept failing the end sequence over and over again. But uh-huh. yeah. it's just that compulsion, just to be like, no, I can do this, and yeah. it's so simple that I just feel like I have to do yeah. it. It's weird. All right, so looking at the versions, so uh, they both came out in 83 to 84, depending on which region you're in, Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. And then also in 1984, before the paint was dry, because of that aforementioned investment deal, the Coleco Adam conversion. Now, Coleco Adam is a name I remember. It was a 1983 computer. Don't know if it came out. It. Over. Over here it escaped. The, uh, I don't know if it escaped to Britain. Yeah, it was pretty popular in France. It did. Ha- it does have a GB GBP price on it, so I guess it did. Yeah, but it wasn't popular. It wasn't like a computer that people played games on. Not in the UK. <laughs> Not in the UK. Uh, but it was quite an expensive device. Uh, Seven hundred twenty-five US dollars back then, so like two grand now. So it was a a piece a PC Texas Instruments PC. Um, but, and I guess Coleco wanted some kind of marquee gaming title to get them up, get themselves up and running in that space. Yeah, and it's interesting to look at Dragon Slayer as that marquee of another game that falls yeah. in this genre, uh, uh, Defender of the Crown. Right, right. It was was <laughs> not the best Cinematronics game. Maybe one of the three Cinemaware. worst in some. Oh, Cinemaware. Right. Yeah, Cinemaware. yeah. The, easily confused. You can yeah. see, yeah. But, but you yeah. know, a marquee thing, a show-off thing, and not that right. Amiga commissioned that, but you could very much see mm. that being the kind of... Uh, and yeah. yeah, the Atom had a lot of money behind it because Coleco, you know, they, they had their ColecoVision, which was doing pretty well before the crash. And they, everyone was trying to... Thought that going from console into computers was the way. Uh, and the Atom... Uh, at that price, it did include uh, a data set, uh, which is like a cassette, but but fancier, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. and a printer, uh, which did have the power supply for the entire computer built into it. So if your printer went down, you no longer could use your computer. <laughs> so various interesting decisions. Mm-hmm. It was it was not a system I think I've ever seen in the flesh, but I oh, really? certainly remember even, reading a lot of magazine your hub. previews. Wow. I thought I, I was imagining you bashing away on these meaty looking keys. Yeah, uh, no, it looks no, like no. it sounds like a typewriter. It's that kind of looking computer. Yeah, it was. I mean, you had an Atari. Did you have a 400 or 800? I had an 800 XL, mate. Oh, right. That's the one I had. So, right. They, we had a they real were the keyboard, ones to get. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, even the Odyssey, too, had that goofy membrane keyboard. There's this whole Ooh, strain of trying to make consoles that are also computers happen that we don't need to, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the, the the version of Dragon's Lair they made um, because obviously this machine couldn't run a Laserdisc or anything that really resembled a Laserdisc game. They made a sort of hybrid action QTE game that took influence from a number of the scenes of the arcade game. And yeah, I remember this from when it arrived, converted to the UK popular micros. The Amstrad CPC, which apparently was the best version. The C64 in particular, I remember in the Spectrum uh, in around 86, 87 time. I think soft, 
maybe it was software projects converted them it was software projects yeah yeah and they were not that well received um as as games of the time even there was a sense of i don't you know i'm not I can't quote any reviews but it was the sort of what is the point of this the whole thing about dragon's lair is you're playing a cartoon and now this is just this really stiff semi-interactive multi-scene game with terrible loading times and stodgy controls that's my main memories of that having never played it yeah it's it's so difficult isn't it because the 8 bits at the time would never ever have been able to reproduce anything like yeah. the arcade and, and you know fair play to coleco who they helped fund the game you know they gave a million pound to uh to 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 dire and blues and co whilst the game was still in development. So they mm. had the foresight to see that this was going to be something pretty special. Yeah. And getting on board so quickly, I imagine if they'd have waited 12 or 18 months, it would have cost them a lot more than, than a million to, to get the rights. And to be honest, it was no worse a conversion of an arcade game than any number of other attempts at traditional video games. So although obviously it was never going to ably replicate an interactive 2D Laserdisc cartoon... No. It also no. they a lot of these companies were simply ta- you know buying the license of the coin op and releasing some absolute toot because they knew it would sell because it had the arcade games name on the cover and uh, I'm not you know uh, I'm not suggesting that everyone involved in the home conversions of Dragon's Lair was just thinking coin but uh, but I'm sure that was a large consideration in the fact that the uh, the company over here obviously wanted to convert it from 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 the Coleco Adam. Let's have it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, there's a funny story of the guy who coded the Spectrum version. It was in it's printed in Retro Gaming years and years ago, mm. and he he tells this story of how he didn't know the arcade game. He knew he, he knew yeah. it existed, but he'd never seen it. Right. And when the guy, the boss of Software Projects, who who had picked this game up for his Coleco, or he picked up a Coleco Adam and this game, I think, while on holiday in France. And he, and he for a guy from Liverpool Software Projects was a Liverpool studio. And they came, he came back and said, this is, you know, this is great. And this is Dragon's Lair. And we need to, we need to roll this out on the, the, you know, the UK and in inverted commas micros. And this guy who'd never seen the arcade, never even seen the arcade game said, okay, well, I'll do it. I'll do the Spectrum version. And then he said he went to the arcade and played Dragon's Lair and thought, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How could I possibly do yeah. this justice? So what they ended up doing, of course, they just ported the, the Adam version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the version that we see, you know, on all of the uh, on all of the micros, the UK, the, you know, the, yeah. the CPC, the Spectrum, the C64. Yeah. Of course, as we'll hear later, there are other approaches. But before that, I want to talk a little bit more about those 16-bit versions at this point. For, for the mid to late 80s. Sorry, but but before we go to the 16-bit, I do want to say oh, I yeah. played the Commodore 64 one uh, as a kid. Oh, and uh, Did you? I The thing is, is it was, I, I at some point uh, traded, I think I've mentioned this, like for two months, me and this other kid traded our Atari for a Commodore and miraculously, neither of us yeah. screwed up the other person's machine or whatever. Nice. Uh, and he had a bunch of uh, pirated discs and I, Dragon's Lair was one of them and, and I didn't spend more than a you know, half hour, 45 minutes with it. But in its defense, I do remember, and again, being a weird little game design kid, but being like, you know, this isn't great, but you actually do get to move your, you know, there's the scene yeah, where yeah. he's falling down on the platform and instead of the QTE jump to the thing, there's these winds that are blowing you in different directions. Yeah. It's a little mini game. 
And I do remember appreciating being like, okay, this is at least a real game. And, you mm -hmm. know, I, yeah. I respect this yeah. on some level. Yeah, so, can I just make one one final point on the 80 yeah. versions as well? Because they did something really unique at the time. In that most of these games were multi-loads, and this was a multi-load as well. Yes. In that, and for listeners who don't know what multi-load means, <laughs> is that you 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 have to load in each section of the game as you go, yeah. right? So you'll play a level, and then it will say press play on tape. Yes, and you'd have to load the next. It's bit when you dream you of having a disc drive if you're using cassette player, basically. Because... Yeah, and this probably this mainly applies to 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 the UK because we hung on to our cassettes. Mm -hmm. For much longer oh, yes. than the uh, folks in the in the US did, yeah. but what this did was that it loaded the next sequence from the well tape remembered. while you were playing the previous one. Yeah, so, and and there weren't many games that did that. No, I mean it's probably partly because each individual mini game was very light on RAM usage, <laughs> so, that, so. so that they could do that. But yes, I do remember that being one of the. I, I remember reviewing Zap sixty four, which was middling overall, but I think the one thing that they praised was. The tech, like the mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that that aspect of it, it's very clever. I mean, yeah. the Amiga one does that. I mean, this is a good segue, I guess, to the sixteen bit because the yeah. genius who programmed the Amiga one also had that kind of you know, we it loads in the next scene while you're playing mm. through this yeah. one uh, to make it run smoothly. And uh, yeah, I think that might also have to do with the fact that the the C sixty four drive, being incredibly slow and bulky, did have its own processor built in. And so you could do interesting tricks like uh, Accolades Comics has like music being played in between mm. scenes while it is loading and blah, 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 that I'm not sure you would be able to do even with a disk drive on any of the other systems, but ah, yeah. just a thought. But yes, you, you mentioned it earlier, Chris, and, um, and this was uh, something of, yeah, it felt like sort of a, a home computing miracle. Uh, the the Amiga yeah. version in particular, they're also ST and PC versions, but it was a Canadian company, Visionary Design, who did the Amiga version and probably the others as well. But um, they'd made a game in 1988 called Data Storm, which I had on my Amiga, which was itself an iteration on Archer McLean's Drop Zone, yeah. which was itself yeah. uh, an amazing home version of, of Defender. So. Uh, th this was a, a company that obviously had some kind of tech chops. And and I suppose it's, again, this is one of those things that's probably quite hard to get across to a younger audience or, or people that weren't around at the time. But they kind of, what they did here was kind of insane, yeah. but amazing. Miraculous. Yeah. They took, they took an entire cartoon and because they can't, they couldn't run it as a MPEG or whatever, a video file. They recoded it into computer graphics. Yeah, yeah. So you've got pixel pixelation. The the animation simplified. The the backdrops are static, but got a quite sort of high res and nicely drawn. But all of those, or most, the the majority of the scenes from the game are spread across six discs or something like that. Eight yeah, eight of you pirated discs, it. Yeah. And um, yeah. <laughs> obviously, again, you want extra disc drives and uh, or even a hard drive if possible. But uh, yeah, it was just um, a lot of a lot of companies at this time were making uh, demos for the Amiga, a lot of um, home homebrew coders and things like that, and that was the kind of thing they would do. Those um, yeah. who was that guy who used to do all those animations with the the frog and the rabbit and all that stuff. There was a guy called um, what from the uh, from the demo scene. Yeah, I can't remember. It was his just name. it was just he would just make on the Amiga like multi disc cartoon yeah. animations, and it was just like even though there was 
There's kind of no real reason to it. They they were just sort of hyper impressive. But here was one that you could actually sort of play a bit as well. It was it was phenomenal. So go ahead, Jesse. No, just I'm trying to remember the name of the 17 year old who did that conversion because you posted that great video about the Amiga conversion, and and now I'm not able to find his name. But like the story was it Randy it. Linden? Hmm? Yes. Was it Randy Linden? Yes, that's the name yeah. that I can remember. And like he just got the laser disc from an arcade. Or uh, the story behind it's pretty bonkers. Where they, you know, he just converts it frame by frame. It's not like he's drawing it over. He is literally taking yeah. the laser disc, you know, and 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 uh, downloading it, you know, one frame at a time, and then simplifying it. Uh, and yeah, no, that. Um, it's it's and and then figuring out a compression method that fits like you know instead of yeah. 880k like 1.2 megs uh, of data so you can get it down to six discs and there's other just startling. I had no idea when I you know uh, played this and also I I bet the load times weren't quite as good on the pirated version uh, and the <laughs> the compression also you know kept it from being pirated for like six months which is you know an eternity and actually allowed it to sell pretty well. Um, oh, hell. So he's also the guy who made Bleem and Bleemcast. And, and he also did Snes Doom on the, Doom on the he did Doom on the Super Nintendo Kyle, as well, right. which is So he's a kind of know, genius. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, widely regarded as a I do know the name, but I didn't realise he'd done all yes, just found him the, on social. The YouTube media. Com uh, comments mentioned John Carmack new, uh, multiple times as a comparison right. point, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean it was the compression, the way they managed to squeeze everything down. To six floppies, eight of you played the uh, version I played, but um, yeah. six floppies, I mean, it, it's incredible. And it only included, you know, about 15 to 20% of the scenes really? that were in that the few. arcade game. Right, I thought it was more. Which, well, which then kind of it made it available then to do the sequel, which they did, which brought in other scenes from the arcade. But when you play, I mean, I played it yesterday just to just to get a frame of reference, and I, I, I think it plays better than... <laughs> Then the when you play it, so I was playing it on the Mister with a WHD low build, which because it was the disc swapping that killed the game. Yeah. I think back yeah, in the yeah. day, I mean, you you could never really get into it because you were just constantly swapping discs between scenes. But if you play it now on a hard drive image, I I think it plays better than the original right. arcade game. Mm. That makes sense. It's just a lot shorter. Yeah, yeah, it's probably probably possibly for the best. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, partly it's, I mean, the Atari ST version of Defender of the Crown is better than the Amiga just because they got to take another stab at it and, you know, they realized yeah. how they goofed it. And it I think they're like, Dragon's yeah. Lair is just like people building the road as they are building the car at the same time. And, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, just getting the game feel down a little, a little tighter. I need to go back to that. I, I As I said, I think the reason, you know, I'd put in Battle Chess instead was those disc mm. swaps uh, yes. that if you're trying to wow your friend, that is the like, you know, it's the equivalent of like, <laughs> here, listen to me play the song on the guitar. And, you know, every third yeah. chord, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, look away, look it's away. Over here. Just I can a, get this a black one. screen and some grinding noises. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but this was 1988. Like, Leon, in 1988, you know, we were we were still with our 8-bits. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so if you'd, if someone had, which I, you know, I reckon I've seen this in probably early 1990, but if. In 1988, when this was released on the yeah. on on the on the poultry Amiga 500 as well, yeah, I, I mean, that, oh, did it require a one meg expansion? Yeah, I, I feel I like don't it, know. Yeah, I think it did. No, I think but, it did. Yeah, 
But yeah. most people you know, by so that I, point I, had one because of Dungeon yes. Master, the other game you could yeah. pirate. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's an equivalence here between seeing an arcade game doing this in 1983 mm-hmm. and seeing an Amiga at home computer yeah, doing this in totally 1988. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sean S. Thomas from our forum says it transpires that the guy over the road from me was one of the biggest pirate software distributors in Europe. <laughs> I didn't realize that until I saw him being arrested. I should have probably twigged when he invited me over once and his study had about 10,000 Amiga floppy disks arranged alphabetically around the room. It was a beautiful sight. I remember he showed me Xenon 2, Speedball and Dragon's Lair. The latter looked like the Disney film Robin Hood and was totally annoying as hell to play. But I felt like a total champ getting to see it in motion. Yes, so what happened next was Software Projects made more Dragon's Lair for computers, 8 and 16-bit. And as you say, they took some of the scenes that had been missing from the original release and added a few ideas of their own. And again, I think the 8-bit versions were were sort of uh, their own thing to an extent that took the influence yeah. from scenes of the game um, and embellished them and gave you full control. I remember Zap really liking this one. Again, multi-load notwithstanding. I can't remember if it retained the the clever multi-load of the original, but certainly I remember multi-load being an issue. I think it was one of those possibly where they said you'll be more likely to enjoy this if you've got a disk drive. But yeah. uh, but actually, I think particularly uh, the C64 version was um, of the 8-bits was, you know, had some merit to it. And then, yeah, so the, the 16-bit versions are more of the same as Dragon's Lair 1. Yeah, they were just other scenes from the arcade games that they didn't include within within the first one, mm-hmm. largely. Yes, not to be confused with the other, other Dragon's Lair 2, which is the official yeah. game in the lineage, which we'll come to. Then, in 1990, another one I've never played. Oh, God. Yeah, this was where uh, the name uh, Sullivan Bluth Presents started to appear on the on the boxes as well, apparently. Uh, Dragon's Lair for the NES by a company called Motive Time, released by various people around the world, including uh, Epic and Sony Records in Japan, Elite Systems in Europe, Mattel in Australia, and CSG ImageSoft in the US, I presume. Uh, this game was not well received, but it was interesting that they were still cashing in on the Dragon's Lair name six, seven years after the coin-op was no longer a thing. This theme will continue. Has there, have either of you ever played this one? Uh, yes, for my sins. <laughs> oh, that good. God. Yeah. So this was this was, this was released by Elite uh, coded by Elite Systems, which is mm-hmm. a UK software software house, um, headed up by a guy called Steve Wilcox, who knows how to sniff out a uh, a, good, a good commercial deal when he sees right. one. It's terrible, uh, but but I could see what they're trying to do. So the the sprites are really big. Yes. So you know what it's like on 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 the eight bits and even on the sixteen bit you know computers and consoles. Whenever you had big sprites. They don't move very well, and trying to trying to make sprites the size of what they and and they were going for that because they tr- they wanted to replicate the arcade look as close as they could. Yeah. But this is an NES, mm. so when you've got these big sprites, the movement is so clunky. The first scene is you're outside this drawbridge, and mm. I probably I actually spent about forty five minutes on it yesterday. Oh, I'm so sorry, and. <laughs> 
had no idea. I couldn't get past the first the first screen. It's so difficult that it's yeah. you know, and I've I've read interviews with Steve Wilcox, and there's there's a really good one in Retro Gamer, which does a, a really good one of the old Retro Gamers does a really good feature on all of the conversions of Dragon's Lair, mm. and in that Steve Wilcox admits that you know whilst they it was commercially successful for the NES, uh, which actually led to Elite Systems being one of the um, premier uh, European third party mm. um, coders for Nintendo, um, it's just so difficult. It's too difficult to be anywhere near fun. So how much resemblance does it bear to the 1991 Game Boy game also by Elite? None. None, okay. So so the Game Boy game is a reskin of an earlier ZX Spectrum game yeah. called uh, Roller Coaster. Is it Roller That's Coaster? It. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's a completely different game and a much better game. <laughs> Although I think if you're going to reskin a game, you'd probably choose one that was better than Roller Coaster. Mm. Although Crash it's Game... Much, it, Crash Game Roller Coaster and ninety four percent Crash Smash. It's not. It's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I have not played any of these, and all I have to add is that the very first attempt to make an interactive video disc is you might you know there's an article yeah. about it. Build your own in a Creative Computing magazine, where you you hooked a your Laserdisc player to your mainframe or whatever, uh, and use the movie Roller Coaster, a movie. Nobody remembers about a roller coaster being blown up by Timothy Bottoms. Features uh, a few music I scenes by this. Sparks. Yeah, I remember. I uh, saw it on the telly when I was a kid. Well, yeah. well there's a choose-your-own-adventure version of it yeah. you can build uh, if you <laughs> have $10,000 worth of equipment uh, in 1982. <laughs> uh, and and a great dedication to, you know, it would like pause and then, you know, show you, you know, pick one of these three choices and then skip to a different part of the movie, depending on what you picked. And I think it was about as narratively coherent as Dragon's Lair. But uh, yeah, or any it, of those it, books, Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston. Coincidence yeah. that, yeah, when you said roller coaster, <laughs> I had a moment of intense confusion. <laughs> Yeah, no, a different roller coaster, yeah. but relevant and pertinent. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, at some point in and around 1990 to 1991, Dragon's Lair 2 Time Warp was released after years of delays. Is that I, I don't really I'd never saw this in the wild. Um, there were home versions again, possibly not released not far apart from the arcade machine. Yeah, it, it 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 had been apparently in some level of development pretty much since Dragon's Lair One, um, and now it's considered yeah part of the canonical trilogy with Space Ace being a kind of the fact that everyone resembles everyone else is the idea that it's a kind of a continuation of the lineage of of the Dirk the Daring family or something, hmm. um, and uh, and it forms a loose trilogy. But yeah, this is very much the sequel to Dragon's Lair. You have uh, you've had 11 kids or something with with Daphne um and you end up there's a time machine and you end up going to various random times the one thing the one scene that really struck me in this was the through the mirror one Alice themed which yeah. I understand Alice is public domain <laughs> and it possibly was even when Disney made a film of it but all the characters in the Alice sequence look almost identical to the ones from the Disney Alice film, which seems risky. Yeah. If this had been successful, because, right, Winnie the Pooh just went into the public domain, but yeah. if you put a red shirt on him, you're a dead man. Yeah. Uh, there's there's that very distinct, right? Yeah. Uh, distinction, and, and 
I guess, you know, maybe people just weren't paying attention back then. But it is very funny. Yeah, mm. I didn't even mm. really think about that because the fact that Alice in Wonderland is part of a time travel was confusing enough. Uh, <laughs> it is confusing. Yes. But, yeah. Go from Alice in Wonderland to uh, Mozart, is it? <laughs> or Beethoven? Yeah. I forget. Yeah, uh, but odd. that's a that is a good point. And uh, if Disney is listening to this, <laughs> they even have the very similar voices to the to the to the Disney Alice film. Anyway, uh, a curious thing. Yes, it's available on uh, on all the modern trilogy packs. So yes, like me, I'd never seen it before. Now I've completed it, um, and will probably never play it again. <laughs> In the director's cut version of the game, which is included on the modern releases, gathering all of the treasures, yes, we should mention this, offers an alternate, shorter and easier second to last stage. In it, Dirk must get the death ring and then throw it at Mordrock, the evil one in this. This also includes three death scenes that were not used in the final release, according to Wikipedia. So yeah, this game has one kind of interesting and quite cool feature, I think, which is that I didn't even notice this on my first playthrough, but you if you haven't done this particular thing, when you get to the final challenge, you get sent back to the start, which is that sometimes on a scene, uh, an item will appear. And rather than the input that continues the story, you enter an alternate input, uh, always one of the directions, if I recall correctly. And you will kind of, the cartoon kind of stops, but it doesn't. All the background stops. Dirk then reaches into the scene and plucks this item out. So it'll be an apple or a bow or a clock, an uh, hourglass. So that's how you do Yeah, it's weird. Um, I had to look it up. Um, and, and again, there's there's trophies for collecting those treasures. And yes, you have to you have to do that to kind of get the, the, the good ending, as it were. Yeah. So that that really messes with you when all you are doing is watching the inputs on screen, it, it which precisely, tell you yes. which way to go. So I was really so I got to the end of because you know I needed that I needed that trophy, um, to say that I completed Dragon's Lair two. But I was really miffed when I got to the end and they <laughs> told me that I had to go back to the beginning because I hadn't collected the trophy, like ghosts and to, goblins, the, the treasures. Yeah. <laughs> So there you have it. Um, yeah, they're, they're, once you know what you're looking for, the, the the modern version gives you a kind of a clue by showing you a screen with all the, with all the outlines on, so you kind of know what you're looking for. To be honest, I think actually, although I think it's a fun feature and it's kind of quite niftily executed, I actually think it would have been cooler if they'd had the items naturally in the scene rather than. I mean, some of them yeah, are, but sure. some of them are just kind of floating in midair, sort of thing. Like, oh, there's a thing that mm -hmm. shouldn't be there but i need to pluck it off of the screen but yeah mixed feelings on that my main my main feeling about really about dragon's air 2 apart from the the sequences being i think a bit egregiously long in places yeah, is too the, long is, yeah. is that the, the, the screen is the pace is so frantic and the screen is so busy that even if you were not watching the inputs it would just be like it, it's kind of like that sort of um MTV kind of mental sugar rush of just stuff happening. Yeah. Um, it's an accidental Jeff Minter game. Yeah. That, right. is, my, that <laughs> is the conclusion I've come to in the course of this podcast. Yeah. It's more like, um, I mean, one of my favorite sequences of animation ever is the, the pink elephant sequence from, mm. from Dumbo. And there's nothing quite as cool as that in this, but it's that sort of level of what my brain, um, while you're also trying to like n not miss 
tiny input windows to to tap a cardinal direction yeah um again do, do we do we know why they felt that that was a good time i mean other than opportunity of course because i think leland corporation gave them the opportunity to 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 release it oh, i mean okay did do we i mean do you think there was any logic behind releasing a game like that in 1991 or or was it just a case of well we've got a publisher now who's willing to to put it out there i don't know but um i mean uh, as we were alluding to earlier i suppose this was the the burgeoning era of the the interactive cd-rom movie so it wasn't something that multimedia yeah, yeah so we hadn't completely moved past the idea of of not that interactive cinematics i suppose um i don't I have no idea how well this did but as i say i don't think i ever saw one yeah, I hadn't seen it back then at all. Didn't know it existed until we started doing this and I got the, you know, I looked up. Oh, I this was actually released yeah. before this uh, this package or whatever. But the one thing it makes me, you know, I am a, a VR booster, so it's funny for me to say this, but, you know, yeah. there is the trope of every five or ten years VR is the, you know, it's about to happen. And, mm. you know, eventually <laughs> maybe that will be true. But you could definitely see... Dragon's Lair and Laserdiscs is, again with the advent of CD-ROM and with just that sense of one technical tangent I guess but I think is really important to understand Dragon's Lair and understanding that era is that Laserdiscs and storage were at least a decade ahead of computers in some sense like these are yeah. parallel tracks and mm. the order of magnitude difference of like a laser disc can hold, I don't know, a gigabyte of information, some mm, amount. Yeah, where where if you have a computer that right. has 128K, yeah. there is just, and this is why Mist, you know, and if, if people don't think that uh, organizing the show is an art, Leon has put me on this Mist and Bandersnatch this year. So I, I, will, oh, yeah. I will make the, the trilogy, <laughs> the through line here. Uh, <laughs> and. But yeah, I mean that you know the complaint about Mist not being a game is again you've got you've got 660 megabytes of storage and you've got a Macintosh with you know I don't know a mega RAM, uh, and mm. the best thing to do with that is 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 interactive slideshows, uh, and you know HyperCard literally like that the the you know biggest game of its time was a HyperCard stack, uh, and Dragon's Lair. Someone probably tried to make a hypercard stack version of Dragon Slayer, actually, and I bet it's terrible. But it, I, I should look for it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, CDs coming along. CD, but it, there's that idea of it, like VR or something else, just being perpetually okay. It didn't work that first time, mm. but like now we've yeah. got it. Now there's these optional treasures. Now, etc. I can, I can see how it's compelling. Then in 1991 as well, we also got uh, an official sequel to Space Ace, but really it's a bit more like yeah. Escape from Singer's Castle. Space Ace 2 Boss Revenge is actually a continuation of the home versions of Space Ace with mostly uh, scenes that didn't fit on the original version. Again, for Amiga ST, DOS, and this time as Macintosh, um, there was an Apple 2GS port completed but not released. And yet... Because <laughs> because modern homebrew is what it is, this uh, a new Apple II GS version was developed and released by Brutal Deluxe Software <laughs> in 2022. You, 2022. You have to admire Nerd. You have to admire Nerd them, yeah. don't you? For for their commitment, to doing these things completely fruitlessly. Yeah, 
Um, Somebody are, it's incredible. It. When are we doing the Apple 2GS platform show? The computer, <laughs> even <laughs> I have not seen a, an Apple 2GS. And <laughs> I mean, they sold reasonably well, but the thing is, is if we did a platform yeah. show, it'd be, we'd find three yeah. people and be like, oh yeah, I ran a lot of Apple II software on that. Uh, <laughs> and like my mom got me nice yeah, this, this one thing. And that is amazing. I did not. It's yeah, the yeah, same incredible. chip as the ST, I think. I think uh -huh. that's Amiga is Genesis and GS is the same as maybe the Super Nintendo as well. So there's mm. some reason people have, uh, yeah. you know, that, that there's some crossover. People who learned the 2GS did manage to have careers, etc. But it, it was not on the 2GS. <laughs> There was a Super Nintendo version. Now, I, again, forgive my ignorance. Is this based on the NES game or is it its own baby? No, nah, it's different. It's different. It's again. different. So I've I not, thought it was. I've actually not, I've not played this one. No. Um, but I was reading about it in Retro Gamer. So Retro Gamer quotes and say it plays like an apology to the to the nes version apparently it's actually pretty playable i've heard i've heard some reasonable things about this it's never appeared so as uh, many of us have i've got a snes mini stuffed to the gills with like yeah. all the all the best snes games ever according to every list dragon's lair has yeah. never come up on, no, on those lists no, no. however no however um yeah i don't think it's it's an unplayable disaster in the way that the nes one was no, it looks similar actually. To, yeah. So the, the graphic style is very similar. So they've used those big sprites, but obviously the, the horsepower. Can do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It can do it a little bit more justice. Yep. If you love that game and you're now disappointed that we're not talking about it properly, you should have sent us some correspondence. <laughs> it. Yeah, I did not play this, but looking at it, it does another thing in the Dragon's Lair diaspora. I suppose is Prince of Persia. Uh, you know, a cinematic platformer, and I, I guess Dragon's Lair is, you know, that times a thousand where you know we were talking yeah. earlier about you can't pre-input things right in dragon's lair yeah which is a, a big part of the trick of prince of persia which is very much in a way a game of it's not a linear qte game but it's a, it's a game that is trying to set up dramatic moments a lot of the times you know by using interaction but is is trying to make a movie-like story and uh yeah, the SNES version of that's pretty fascinating, adds a lot of stuff. So maybe I have to look at the SNES mm. Dragon's Lair, just because the size of the sprites and the way that it's yeah. set up does does remind me of that, because that is one of the, the odd things about, you know, Prince of Persia is very, because it's trying to be cinematic, you know, you got a big-ass character, and there's not a lot of room up and down to roam. You know, the other the other game, and this is a tangent a little bit, but the other touch point here, which came out around this time, is Another World. Yes, yeah, yes. It, it was mass. Is is a is a bit of a sacred cow actually, and that riffs massively on this kind of yeah. gameplay. I'm of, sure, you know, we mentioned that. Inputs. I hope we did in 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 our another world podcast, which I think mm. was only last year. I'm sure Dragon's Lair would have got at least a name check for for being yeah. that sort of yeah se sequence by sequence, not that much input. Obviously, yeah, yeah, right. But Very more, similar. I mean, the cinematic platformer is the happy medium. I think mm. that is, the mm. you know, where they found a point where another world, you know, you, you can certainly have criticisms of it, but you can you can move the character around and shoot the you little can. laser more or less when you want to. Uh, and yet it still has that quality of a perfect playthrough of it is enjoyable to watch as like this Buster Keaton movie or something. And a, a more was... coherent one than uh, Dragon's Lair, if not maybe an actual Buster Keaton movie. <laughs> well, uh, again, that could have worked. 
There was to be an, a Mega Drive game following the SNES one. Don't know whether it would have been one of those where it was a simple uh, conversion or its own thing, but it was never released anyway. It would have been by Eden Entertainment and called The Adventure Continues. The original Dragon's Lair and I think the other games as well were released on the Mega CD and the Sega CD and the 3DO and, of course, eventually the PC CD-ROM from Epicenter Interactive. Our second correspondent for this show is Ashman86, who says, I have some very vague memories of seeing Dragon's Lair in arcades and being wowed by the animation. As a young child at the time, I was naturally drawn to the Disney-like presentation, and I remember comparing it to the console games I played at home in my mind in disbelief. How could a game look like this? Of course, it cost a fortune to play, and I never actually did, so until we eventually got a copy on Sega CD, the experience was underwhelming, to say the least. It took me a while to wrap my head around the game, but I eventually progressed several screens into the game before ultimately giving up, writing it off as pretty, with not much going on beneath the surface. I could just never find the fun in learning the exact button sequences through trial and error and committing them to memory. I admire what the game did for the industry and for its groundbreaking artwork, but I definitely don't hold it in the same reverence as other classics from the time. There was a Dragon's Lair 3. Now, <laughs> this is canonical, so uh, I suppose I should have played it, but uh, <laughs> I haven't. This was uh, home computers only this time. Uh, Don Bluth Multimedia was the uh, the developer, released by ReadySoft. In 1993 for Amiga ST, MS-DOS and Apple IIGS. Of course. Uh, but actually, I think this also kind of, I sort of have played it thinking about it because it, it fulfills the same role as Space Ace 2 on the home computers, which is that it takes scenes from Time Warp, Dragon's Lair 2, and brings them to the home systems. So it's kind of more of a, uh, of a mopping up of scenes that weren't on in on those platforms but they certainly kept churning them out as as you know as we're seeing in this section of the podcast they just kept releasing dragon's lair games and yeah on we go so f- five years after the release of the original on on the 16-bit mm. computers it just starts to feel mm. a little bit like a cash in doesn't mm. it at this point i think but I guess if you were completing the set and you wanted all the scenes and you loved them. Um, yeah, but there, yeah. there weren't many people like us, Leon. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, surely in 1993, people were getting cold on this stuff. 1994, though, uh, the CDI version arrived. Dragon's Lair 2. Yeah, the, turned yeah, it all around. Different. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> but you, you did need an expensive add-on for your CDI, the digital video cartridge. So, yeah, but it, I mean, it's proof of concept for a system like CDI. I mean, that's what it was yeah, built to do. Of course. So to have games like that on the system is a must. This one, I think I'd managed to, if I did know about it, I'd just erased it from my mind or, uh, yeah, or just managed to like block it out. But there was a Space Ace game for the Super Nintendo by Oxford Digital Enterprises, who I most commonly associate with the home versions of Trivial Pursuit. Uh, on the on the home computers in the mid 80s uh <laughs> this was uh released by absolute in america imagine in japan and empire in europe uh, according to the imdb trivia the super nintendo version is infamous for its high difficulty level limited lives 
uh, memorizing patterns, the censorship of nudity with Ace and Borth being turned into babies in the original arcade, having a diaper on them in the Super Nintendo version. I mean, that's a pretty (laughs) weird thing to get obsessed about. media. there, they put a they put a nappy on the baby. Um, you, you can't you, you can only see a little bit of uh, side bottom crack on the uh. Uh, on the original as as far as I recall. Um, yeah, this game is meant to be terrible. Uh, hence, I've never. I mean, given that the meant to be okay Dragon's Lair has never found itself onto any of my SNES based systems, uh, this terrible Space Ace hasn't either. Is that true for you, gents? Too. The only thing I can say about this is I'm I've got in front of me the Retro Gamer, which did the whole list of ah. all of the spin-offs and ports. It's there, is it? This isn't even mentioned. Oh wow! Okay, that's that's a burn because uh, they're generally pretty yeah. uncomprehensive as we are about these things. Mm. 1995. Remember the Atari Jaguar console? Do you remember the CD add-on that looked like a toilet? <laughs> yep, you could play Dragon's Lair on that too, and. So when is there another game? I mean, like this of just like for a decade because it yeah. is weirdly you know in some ways out of its time where it just becomes like mm-hmm. the hamburger or like the proof yeah. of concept right uh, over and over of like can it play <laughs> dragons? Like, I guess it's the can it run Doom of its day? Yeah, in a yeah. strange way, but yeah, for multimedia, which was we, we take for granted now, but you know. Pictures and uh, and uh, sound coming over uh, your computer. Amazing stuff. And listener, you should bear in mind that when we talk about these different versions, whether it's CDR, CDO, 3DO, Jaguar, CD, they don't, they're not all identical. They're certainly not all arcade perfect because they all had their own video codecs. They all had their own resolution outputs. Yeah. They all had their own access speeds. So a lot of these are quite grainy and slow and less colorful and more uh, artifacted and things like that. So... Yeah, the, the Mega CD version in particular oh is infamous for Crane. being a bit of a mess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, remember, I remember crisscross make my video. Uh, uh, while we're <laughs> in the mid-90s, I did, because yeah. I had my own vague memory, but the, the game Chris was trying to think of on the 3DO, I'm pretty sure, is Kingdom the Far Reaches. That's it, which yes, thank wow. you. I saw in the arcade as Thayer's Quest in like 84, 85, because it was a conversion kit for Dragon's Lair or Space Ace, where it added a whole keyboard with like icons and stuff. Uh, And I think I like, I don't even know if I played it once, but I definitely, you know, watched for a few minutes. But I was fascinated and baffled because I had played, you know, home computer, choose your own adventure type games. Or, you know, I wasn't totally unconversant. And even at that age, I was like, this is fascinating, but this cannot work. Like this just literally makes no sense. Yeah. That threat <laughs> response model, not that I would have thought of that, but you know, that the Dragon's yeah. Lair model uh, for a choose your adventure game in an arcade with a keyboard. I don't even know if you just died every three seconds. I think it was more <laughs> like, uh, again, like a carnival attraction. Like you got two minutes one way or the other. Yeah, and you know, if you want more, you put another price seventy five cents. I think it was even more than fifty. But yeah, that, and also Rick Dyer. So yeah, and came out then on three DO, and I am now curious about. You have to admire Rick Dyer's determination to fulfill his ambition. Yeah, because he never he never gave up in producing this this idea of this you know this wonderfully animated choose your own adventure style adventure inspired video game he never ever stopped chasing it i remember kingdom actually being okay but that's the thing is 
you can even see with Space Ace and Dragon Slayer 2, him trying to evolve these mechanics to, you know, some but yeah. limited success. Uh, and, you know, trying to kind of reach escape velocity from, from playing Simon. Uh, yeah. And I'm now at least pretty curious about how, how what Thayer's Quest slash Kingdom of the Far Reaches actually manages to accomplish, yeah. having now a, a weird icon-based keyboard. Never missing a trick to re-release Dragon's Lair. The uh, deluxe pack, which was effectively the trilogy, was re-released for both Windows 95 in 1997 and Windows 98 in 1998. That's how many times this game's come out. Then, both in 1998 and in 2002, under different packaging, Dragon's Lair was released for home DVD players, as mentioned earlier, uh, with appalling seek times and input lag, um, by all accounts. Then, more interestingly, I'd suggest, if we thought the Amiga versions were insane, Digital Eclipse uh, and coder Michael Mika Sr., who's still there, who's recently contributed to the amazing Atari 50 anniversary celebration compilation with the Yars Revenge Enhanced and Quadra Tank versions on that. He took Dragon's Lair, the actual Dragon's Lair, and made it work kinda <laughs> on a Game Boy Color. Yeah, amazing. This is amazing. So is this the first Digital Eclipse release? No. Is this because they acquired the rights in the late 90s, didn't oh, they? Oh, um... I don't know. But if, if, it, if, it, if it was, mm. then this is an amazing proof of concept because what they managed to achieve on the Game Boy... I mean, I've not played this, but no. I've watched a video yeah. of it. I've done some reading about it, and it's pretty extraordinary what they managed to achieve. I mean, they... This is the arcade game on the Game yeah. Boy Color. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. Obviously, lower resolution, kind of the screen's very small and things are kind of zoomed in. But yes, your your actual Dirk the Daring animated in a style similar to, to that of the Amiga yeah. is there crawling around inside your Game Boy Color, which was barely yeah. any more powerful than a, a 1989 Game Boy. Yeah. Yeah, weird and mad. I wonder how much money that one made. Who knows? Uh Next, we got the inevitable, and this was really the, the peak era for this kind of thing, which was take nostalgic older IP and turn it into contemporary Xbox generation um, 3D action game. Dragon's Lair 3D, Return to the Lair, had some new animation from Don Bluth Studios at the start, had some new music, I think. Um, reviews were not great but not disastrous either i mean in the world where anything below a 70 is a terrible game this is a terrible game because <laughs> it it averaged on metacritic about mid 60s but um it existed yeah it, it, it's no prince of persia 3d which is released sure. right around the same time uh, also published mm. by ubisoft though also mm. developed yeah, yeah. by them not like this but it it feels like maybe it's part of, you know, that comes out a few years later in Dragon Slayer. But I could see the early 2000s kind of being the time where those brands, there's that thought of, okay, we can, the nostalgia wave is at the right place. Um, and it does feel like Dragon Slayer has never quite nailed it. You know, that they'll, they'll keep trying. It's a valuable enough brand to keep trying. Yeah. Uh, but I would... If I if classes were still going on this week, I would have asked my you know twenty year old students, uh, "What does this name mean to you?" And I'd be very right. curious. Yeah, and get them to play this two thousand and two to two thousand and four <laughs> no. GameCube PS two game they, for you. They have enough work. 
<laughs> but you know what? I'm a, I'm a real sucker for these early kind of early noughties action adventure games. The the PS2, Xbox, yeah. GameCube. I, I I'm a proper sucker for these. And actually, I haven't watched. I I didn't even know this existed until a few weeks ago when I started doing research for this show. Mm. But when I, totally I watched a video it. of it on YouTube, I'm really intrigued by this. I mean, this looks yeah, it looks like a a less good version of Maximo, but with cell shader graphics. Yeah, that's a good description, I'd say. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure I was aware of it when it was out because, you know, I'm always kind of aware of most of the games that are around, especially if they have got a legacy title. But I guess it was just, you know, I was expecting a kind of slightly uh, subpar revival reboot and saw the reviews, yeah, and gave it a... A swerve. I'm sure I would have seen it in secondhand shops as well. I'm sure it's still out there. I think it made it made deserve its own issue. It's a uh, topaz <laughs> in the rough. If you <laughs> if you nominate it, then it'll get one, Chris. Next year, but, uh, I can't guarantee I'll be on it. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I I like Prince of Persia: Sands of Time. I'm not like that era. Unlike with Chris, maybe isn't like something I'm intrinsically. But, um, you know, I just threw on a, a little quiet YouTube video and yeah, I mean, I would be curious and, it, and I am this doing this has made me more interested in Dragon Slayer, the, the IP as just the subject of curiosity as one of these things that, you know, it'll it'll always be out there, but will it ever have its day again? 2003 they hadn't released it on windows for a little while so they released the 20th anniversary pack on windows xp <laughs> yep separate box if you want to collect them all <laughs> you better get hunting God. anyway uh there was a, an old pre-smartphone mobile version by mma game mmj games in 2005 published by starwave i guess that one's lost to the the digital wasteland now then in 2007 Apparently, this worked much better than it did on DVD. Dragon's Lair was released for Blu-ray players and HD DVD. Uh, so there was, I guess there was a way of playing it on your Xbox 360 at this point, if you had one of those wacky HD DVD add-ons. Um, I don't know if you can still, I don't know if this is like still in print or something you could still buy off Amazon if you were curious, but um, probably not necessary. Uh, there was, they released it on Windows again in 2007. It was the 20th anniversary pack, uh, but released now on one DVD instead of four CDs. <laughs> yeah, that's how many times this game's been released. There was a non-official emulator called Daphne, which was a multi-laserdisc game emulator running on Windows, Linux and Mac, developed by Matt Ownby. The last version that I found evidence of was 2007, so I guess it had been around for a while. So that's a way of playing a number of Laserdisc games if you legally own the ROMs. So, so I, I've been aware of the Daphne emulator mm. for a long, long time, but I had no idea until about three weeks ago why it was named Daphne. Ah. So revelation about number 12 in research and for, this, go. for this issue. Uh, iOS version 2009 for iPhone, 2010 for iPad. Again, the digital leisure uh, that will operate as you'd imagine. DSiWare version, 2009 to 10 as well. Uh, all three games via Code Mystics came to the DSiWare service, now no longer available, but you could download them at that point. And yeah, apparently pretty nice version, decent codec. You could play them on the 
you can play it on the top or the bottom screen if you wanted. <laughs> Full arcade ports? Yeah, it's the it's just yeah, I guess just playing with a video codec and a, and a simple interface. Yeah, it's it's okay. basically the same as the the versions we've been playing, but on a DS. Yeah, uh, they released the trilogy on the Wii. I had no memory of this, um, but again, I suppose it sort of makes sense. Um, in in the same sort of way as a DVD pack does, Destineer published that. Um, don't know whether you could. I assume you could use waggle controls in some fashion as well, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> uh, arrived all three games arrived on the PS3 via PSN in 2011. The Android versions as well, and PSP and 3DS. There's not much you can't play a Dragon's Lair on at this point. In 2013, the trilogy arrived on Windows PC and. <laughs> And Mac, again, uh, in 2017 to 2019, that brings us up to the versions that we've been playing and talking about. You can get it on uh, Linux. It's basically the same as the, the Windows and Mac version from 2013, but now on PS4 and Xbox One and Switch. And obviously you can play it on current gen PS5 and Xbox series as well. And hopefully next gen Switch. So it's, yeah, it's still right there. And it's sometimes in the sale as well if you've been if you've had your interest piqued by this podcast maybe one of you knows the name of eric chahi i just know that another mm. world has been ported so many times partly because he somehow he wrote it in a language that is very generic and portable and i forget oh, yeah. what but i do wonder mm. if dragon's lair is there like one core version people just keep porting over and over again or oh, how much the are they actual, reinventing the wheel the actual game time? logic yeah yeah, yeah. To, for the code for the code because yeah, you I, just hmm. sorry because it's just like it's just a video file yeah i guess that's some the thing. simple yeah. code attached isn't it yeah i guess it's I, I guess it is quite cheap and easy to port um, yeah why not someone must own the rights to the code though right i mean just like somebody owns the rights to the video I think digital who, leisure, probably. Um, it must be they must have acquired the whole thing mustn't so. they uh but there is uh uh <laughs> and under a license from Digital Leisure, a company called uh, Harmless Lion released this is ridiculous. Re released Dragon's Lair in 2019 for the Textus Instruments 99 <laughs> 4A computer. A limited run of I cartridges. Um, I've, I've watched this running and, yeah, again, it's... What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Plays in a very small window, yeah. but it does, it does run. I don't know why they do these things, but people like it. I guess they, that's, I, I, that's the answer. I've got to look at. I mean, have either of yeah. you used the Texas Instruments ninety nine four A? That was the the <laughs> first microcomputer I owned. Yes, yeah, one of the first ones I saw around a friend's yeah. house. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But Harmless Lion wanted to do this thing. Congratulations! And, and because it was there, uh, we mentioned that Apple two GS version. Don't know if that's actually official. If they got, if they got a license from Digital Leisure, I, I guess not. But maybe Digital Leisure don't care. And bringing us right up to date, the reason we've done this show really is because of the it's the 40th anniversary of 1983. And that's also led to some official releases of collectible hardware. We've either got you've either got Dragon's Lair or Space Ace Replicades, which are one sixth scale machines and apparently very nicely made. They get really good reviews from the online retro scene for quality and build quality yeah, and all that. Good. And yeah. and there's the arcade one up as well, which is uh, like, was that I, I, what what size is that? It's like sixty percent size or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, roughly about two thirds. Two thirds. Yeah. So you got to you can if you want a Dragon's Lair arcade machine, you don't need original hardware. And I suspected, I mean, I presume it's just running Raspberry Pi or something inside and Unity and. It's got a really cool reproduction of the high score. I mean, oh yeah, the LED. We, we talk about how pointless the high score is, but it looks nice yeah. on the on the machine. Um, prices wise for the replicates in this country, you're looking at 170 quid. Not, not, not bad. too bad. And for the arcade one up in this country, the UK, it's uh, oh, it's currently 430 pounds on game. I thought it was more than that, so maybe they've dropped that a bit. I thought it was like nearer 700 at one point. Um, so yes, not not necessarily an impulse purchase for all of us, but um, but you know, again, I think it's cool, even if it is kind of cash cow milking at this point. There are so many ways that Dragon's Lair is being continued and remembered that is kind of sweet. Uh, just a few other media mentions. There's that Ruby Spears cartoon. So actually, for both, um, as I say, Ruby Spears, former Hanna Barbera employees, which sort of seems fitting. Both got one season. Uh, one in, thing of note is that Nancy Cartwright plays Kimberly yeah. in the Space Ace series and therefore sounds like Bart Simpson. <laughs> Eat my shorts. In 1983 and to goodness knows when, at least the 2000s uh, or later, because I've, I've seen some toys, figures, lunchbox, T-shirts. Breakfast cereal I've seen. Right, breakfast cereal. Um, I don't know if I ever saw any of this and how much they made of it, how much is in landfill, but yeah, they they weren't shy about about merchandising. One thing though, I had a kind of uh, false memory of was I could have sworn there was a handheld Tiger Electronics style LCD Dragon's Lair game, but I couldn't find it on the internet. So if... yeah, I don't remember that. We were talking much on Slack when we had them. I don't remember that, but it would make complete sense yeah. if there was I, I one think rubbish. It's a. Yeah. I think it's a fictional. I think someone made a very convincing and po-faced. Uh, I don't want to say satire because there's you know mm. it just it seems very realistic. But um, I was trying to figure that out, and I'm pretty sure someone just did a mock. That would explain where my false memory has been. In has, I've had an inception moment. Haven't I? It, yeah. it was ChatGPT probably. <laughs> See, this is the disinformation, <laughs> or as I call it, disinformanzada, that you know will take down our government. Fake dragons layer. Uh, but it does also one thing that makes sense like the best game that actually did come to one of those little baby arcade cabinets when i was a kid was frogger uh because you know the inputs are very uh yeah digital they're very you know uh, modular and in a weird way it would make sense if you could get dragons you'd only have one scene though because of the or maybe two because of the nature (laughs) of lcd screens where you've only you you're lighting up the assets on screen as as they're there so right right they they could have been invented maybe they they could have you could add view master reels i don't know (laughs) in 2002 uh, samurai jack cartoon reference space ace and Dragon's Lair in a scene from the episode Jack and the Farting Dragon. Jack asks which path to take to reach a Dragon's Lair. He is told left. Then when he asks what the right path leads to, Jack is told Space Ace. <laughs> no. uh, there were some comics in 2003 released by CrossGen Entertainment. These were in honour of the 20th anniversary. I don't know how collectible these are or whether they were considered to be any good, but they existed. In 2015, Bluth and Co. attempted to get a movie off the ground, 
but it failed. With a Kickstarter, they raised $241,000 of their target, which was $550,000, which sounds quite low to make a <laughs> make a film with, but presumably it was a, a chunk of it or an investment or something like that, but it didn't happen. The next time we saw Dragon's Lair on TV or streaming service was uh, in Stranger Things Season 3. Makes perfect sense with them being set when they're set and their references to 80s arcades and Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of thing. So what what was that, Leon? Was that just the arcade in the it, it just in an arcade? Was yeah, it? I think there's just a scene of them playing. I don't think it it's I don't yeah. think it was like a, a significant sort of allusion to the plot or anything yeah. like that, as they've done with with some of these things. Um, I think I think it was just yeah. I can't quite remember, but I think it was picture of the machine or something in I think, an arcade. I think they were playing it maybe as well, and maybe okay. there was some some line about it. But yeah, it wasn't like a heavily. It wasn't like. It wasn't featured multi-episodes or anything like that, yeah. as far as I can remember. Okay. 2021, it was uh, inducted into the Australia Centre for the Moving Image and is also currently, although this is disputed, apparently, possibly, one of only three video games, along with Pong and Pac-Man, in storage at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington. <laughs> Jesse, any? That sounds plausible. I'm not, yeah, yeah. didn't know about that. And then bringing us, as I say, up to date and full circle. This has been in the news a bit recently. Uh, Dragon's Lair, the movie. It's happening. Well, as much as any movie is ever <laughs> happening, because sometimes they don't. But two big names are attached. Ryan Reynolds, who is attached to everything from Welsh football clubs to Pikachu. Return to Wrexham. Yeah. Uh, and Netflix. And the idea is, like Bandersnatch, which we're covering later this year, it's going to be like the original interactive, which makes perfect sense. Netflix are expanding into games. They've already they've already got multiple animations they're producing. Seems like a kind of good fit. I can totally see Ryan Reynolds. Everybody loves him at the moment. I expect some people are getting sick of him, but uh, I can see him doing a Dirk the Daring riff in an entertainingly (laughs) Ryan Reynolds ish fashion. Yeah, I mean. It might be terrible, but we've also seen recently that it's possible to make serviceable video game based entertainment. What do we reckon? Why not? <laughs> yeah, at this point, indeed, it makes. I give it a bash. It's been a while since I played Bandersnatch. Obviously, that is not a Twitch game, uh, so uh, I am actually kind of curious if they do it in that kind of with that tech. Mm. Uh, you know the. Is it, is it, yeah, is it still a Twitch game or is it a Dragon's Lair interactive adventure like they did with Minecraft or something, which, yeah, I could think be cool. I think that, that would be my hunch. Yeah. I think they'll, and if they, if there are, quotes, Twitch scenes or whatever, they'll be extremely kind of generous and just keep it light and fun and maybe, maybe yeah. deaths will be inconsequential and, or just funny or something like that. They'll find a way of making it so that it doesn't stop people playing it, I would, I would hope. Um, I find the whole thing just a little bit incredulous, though. I mean, it, it, I've not read much about this. I mean, is it intended to be a serious, like, film, or is it is it meant to be just a slapstick? I imagine it will be sort of cheekily ref- referential. It'll probably be aimed at a lot of people our age as much as anything, um, but also with a view of getting the kids involved. 
I I suspect it'll be. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There's there's definitely been stuff around recently which is is in that sort of space where it's both it's both affectionate and also a bit irreverent about a subject matter. Yeah, that, that's my hunch. Being Ryan Reynolds, I mean, I, I feel my inclination is just to dismiss it as a you know as a, as a bit of nonsense really but the fact that netflix and as you say ryan reynolds is is very in vogue at the moment and you feel like he wouldn't put his name to it if it wasn't some serious piece of of something yeah, i mean he's you know he's, so, he was he was he, he's been in one reasonably well received pokemon related movie uh he did he did yes. free guy which was pretty well liked a video game related movie albeit not about a, a, an original game so i guess he's He's, you know, he's the right age. Um, I don't know if he's like a mad gamer guy, but he's he's probably got some affection for it. Um, do, you, do you know what I think where we've got to with this is that you cannot rule anything yeah. out with this IP. Mm. Who knows? And we've had Cuphead on Netflix, which has done well. We've yeah. had the Castlevania. Yeah, that's good. You know, the Dungeons and Dragons movie is surprisingly good from what everyone yeah. tells me. So that the, it, it kind yeah, of yeah, that's sense. exactly the one I was trying to think of. Yes, the 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 the, yeah. the one that is the very recent contemporary yeah, yeah. that is both affectionate but also tongue-in-cheek and yeah, yeah manage, manages to straddle it's all about the writing isn't it, it was whether it straddles the divide of and uh, attracting enticing new people while also the people the fans that you need and not offending them at the same time i i yeah. can see smart people taking a stab at this i can see why they would and and good luck but One thing yeah, I actually I don't think there know is, is... I mean, it is funny. It's disturbing. Again, it, it's got that mid-80s yeah. hard G quality that is uh, really compelling in certain ways. If you, And it, the, the fascinating thing will be it's like trying to re... It's the reverse uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You know, that like instead of just the good bits, mm. you have this game that is so only the good bits, it's bonkers and un... un readable as a narrative uh and then you're trying to inflate it back up into something coherent uh yet maintain like some level of interactivity like yeah I good luck guys yeah and, and i hope it's uh it's 2d animation i mean if it is cg or live action then fine but it'd All be right. nice if it was it was at least in the style of traditional 2d cell animation or anyway. live action just ryan reynolds and like yeah. he's gonna be ken you know yeah true enough <laughs> Um, right, that brings... No, that's the other Ryan, isn't it? It's Gosling who's Ken. Oh, that's right. Yeah, You're getting your Ryan's, Ryan's twisted. Ryan's it's easy, easily it done. It is very easily done. Um, so, yeah, that brings us kind of up to date with all Dragon's Lair stuff. The, <laughs> the juggernaut rolls on, um, despite our lack of correspondence, with, yeah, with thanks to those who did correspond, including our upcoming three-word reviewers, um, there still seems to be a certain amount of appetite and market for dragon's lair no matter what no matter how many times they release it is there a windows 11 version yet right <laughs> if not there should be three word reviews follow us on social media at kane and rents yes yeah, so i'll go first early mod blood and i like this says looks fantastic but blue weasel breath says ambiguous input windows uh, i'm sorry with an exclamation point ambiguous input windows better <laughs> nice read uh, andrew elmore says simon says bleed and it's hazel says quick time inventor quite possibly or near as damn it anyway yeah maybe yeah uh, i don't think we need extensive summaries because kind of the the show is the yeah. sort of summed up 
what the everything about this is. It's a game that is now kind of legendary in its own way or a series of games, but particularly the first one, just the name Dragon's Lair, even if you disregard sequels, spin-offs um, and, uh, and whatever else, uh, they just keep releasing it. You can buy it on current hardware. And even if you don't want to play it, because to be honest, playing it is extremely simple and quite frustrating. Okay. Just have a look at it because it's a piece of astonishing history. The animation's still pretty cool. There are some quite funny scenes. There are some elements which haven't aged so well, but I don't think there's too much that would horrifically offend uh, a modern audience. Um, yeah, and if, like me, just stick it on your digital wish lists and wait for it to come cheap, and then you can just download <laughs> it and watch it that way. Or there's any number of internet resources about it. But obviously, having listened to a two-hour-plus podcast about it, uh, you might if you don't know what it looks like, you should definitely check out what it looks like and what we've been talking about. Chris? What a fascinating thing this is. Because the word the, or the term cultural phenomenon gets banded around quite a bit, but this is a genuine cultural phenomenon. I have to confess, I don't really get it. I mean, this this stuff about movies and I don't really, I don't really get it at all. I, it, it, I think unless you were there at the time and you could see the arcades in decline and you, and you could see what Dragon's Lair did it, for a very short period because those lazy displays did not, they did not last. And it was, it was really, from what I've read, about a six to 12 month period in which it was those lazy displays were, were working and the, the people were coming to the arcades and the arcade operators were getting a boost. That was would have ended in late nineteen eighty four, early nineteen eighty five. But we almost forty years later have spent two and a half hours talking about it, and we're talking about a, a movie being funded by one of the biggest, but um, one of the biggest media companies in the world, and being uh, starring one of the biggest actors in the world. It, it's a it's a true phenomenon. The amount of releases it's had over the years shows that it's a true phenomenon. I think one of the reasons why I think it's it's held up so well is that it was never a good game. <laughs> and I think a lot of people who played it back in the day from from what I've read have said that they didn't enjoy playing it. They felt like they wasted their money. So if you don't have a good game to begin with, it can't become a bad game. because It was a bad game to begin with. But the animation still, I think, is so timeless. And I think that's the thing that when people come to it today, they will see the animation, which could have been drawn at any point in, in history, really, whether it be in the golden age of Disney or, or right now. And I think that's why people are still so drawn to it. Nostalgia, of course, has a huge part to play. I actually mentioned this to my to my colleagues on the Retro Asylum mm. podcast, and I had the temerity to say that I didn't think it was a very good game, and I was shouted at really? very loudly. I thought that uh, was kind yeah. of the, the consensus, <laughs> that this is a no. cultural artefact, uh, but not actually no. much fun. but. I was prohibited from saying it was a bad game because I think no, I think nostalgia is so strong with with for people who were there around at the time who who were there when the arcades were genuinely golden and could see them tailing off. I think Dragon's Lair felt like a almost a a sense of Don Bluth's involved. So video games must be good, right? Because someone who's ex Disney is involved in making a video game. And 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 I'll finish by saying that. that I kind of feel sorry for Rick Dyer in all of this because he was the brains behind the game. Don Bluth lent his amazing animation talent, but 
really it was Rick Dyer all along who created the concept for the game. And 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 what we play now is Rick Dyer's creation. But if you said Dragon's Lair to most people, they would say, oh, yeah, the Don Bluth game. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend people go back to it, especially if you've got any kind of interest in the history of games. Go back and play it. You can play it in probably about 15, 20 minutes if you play it on the PlayStation. But it probably doesn't hold up as a... Uh, as a game that that is that you would consider to be good your mileage may vary as you found out <laughs> but yes jesse round uh, us up i mean it, it's funny you said uh we've been talking about it for you know two and a half hours and in in my 80s class i often think about like the games i i the key games that i talk about and the key games i talk around because there's some games where I want to talk about the game very specifically. And then there's some like, I don't know, Madden or Flight Simulator, where I don't have a lot of insight into the game itself because it's not exactly my kind of thing. But there's so many things around it in context that are fascinating to talk about and kind of use it as kind of the central character of, you know, a story about the time in some sense. Uh, and yeah, Dragon's like a really, you know, falls in that category for me where i think you can hear you know that i'm, I'm habitually kind of relating it to other things yet the the game itself is of course a bit of a cipher but uh, it, it, i do think it is i you know is it a good game i don't know i think it has hit its context in a way that it did not at the time at least for me where now because it's just this odd little novelty you know, take it or leave it. That's just one more platypus in the history of life of video games. <laughs> uh, it is good or something like, I don't know. It's it's at least uh, not, I'm not just glad it exists as a cultural artifact, uh, uh, but I do see myself going back to, you know, the original one, not so much Space Ace or Dragon's Lair 2, but, you know, now that I own it, you know, once a year, I could see taking a poke at it again because I don't need a lot, you know, in the same way I did with Parappa. Uh, that and and here I think it, it is not as good a game as Parappa. Certainly, again, because you know there's no rhythm element tying its QTEs coherently together. Uh, but in the sense of like, oops, all QTEs. Like it does feel almost under. I just uh, I could see some 22 year old seeing it messing around with AI generated video and creating just like an absolute lamentation cube of an experimental video game that makes even less sense and has even more of a terrifyingly surreally frantic pace than Dragon's Lair, which is, you know, again, like threat response every two seconds is an amazing way to tell a narrative, uh, even within a scene. Uh, and I have gone, you know, even before this, I haven't gone back and played it in decades, but every couple of years I'd pop in, you know, Dragon's Lair playthrough on YouTube or Dragon's Lair All Deaths and, uh, you know, have a fun seven to 15 minutes. And yeah, it's no one would ever, 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 ever make a cartoon like that on its own. And that does make it just this fascinating thing to watch in the, again, sort of the same way that reading a month long Calvin and Hobbes strip at uh, one sitting, you know, or story in one sitting has its weird peculiar pacing because it's in this atomized form where, you know, every three panels, there's a punchline. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, this is exactly the kind of game that uh, makes me glad I'm on Kane and Rince because I would not have really gone back to it 
and you know thought about this deeply on my own uh but i'm glad i have and i i do want to go look up thayer's quest now and actually you yeah. know see how that evolved thanks jesse so there we have it all of dragon's lair just remains for me leon to thank chris and jesse and editor jay as well as our correspondents and of course you for listening Next time, in issue 570, The Super Shinobi, also known as The Revenge of Shinobi. <laughs>